0: welcome to the mission mill spouse podcast the longest running podcast of its kind carrying on the 18 year legacy of army wife talk radio we have now expanded our community to include all military spouses of all branches and all components we are so glad you're here thank you for joining us as we empower military spouses to conquer adversity foster confidence and thrive in this military life now here are your podcast hosts your mission mill spouse command team Hello, hello,
1: listeners. Welcome to the Mission Mill Spouse podcast. I'm Sarah Peachy, the webmaster, and I am so happy you're joining us today. We're here to globally empower military spouses with resources and support so that you can conquer adversity, foster confidence, and thrive in this military life. This is show number 988 of the longest running podcast of its kind. And it is my pleasure to introduce my team member, co-host and special friend, Chrissy Gibbs, our Director of
2: Development. Thank you, Sarah. Hello, everyone. It is truly a pleasure to bring you resources and support through this podcast. And today is no exception. To kick things off, we'll share some of our top resources to help you navigate this mill spouse life. Then in just a bit, We'll hear from Kathleen Palmer, our director of content, as she chats with Karen Tram, the author of 100 Days Smart. So let's get started. Listeners, did you know that Mission Mill
1: Spouse is entirely powered by volunteers and the generosity of our partners?
2: That's right, Sarah. Celebrating our partners is always a joy. And I'm eager to introduce today's Mission Mill Spouse podcast partner, Defenders Gateway. Defenders Gateway is a St. Louis based company that is building the Defenders Network, a national network of support for all defenders and their families. We are so thankful for their generous support.
1: Yes, thank you to Defenders Gateway. As a 501c3 organization, both individuals and businesses can support us in our mission and we would love it if you chose to join us. So check out our website at missionmillspouse.org to donate or you can email partner at missionmillspouse.org for more in-depth details on our extensive partnership deliverables. Just a reminder that all donations are tax-deductible and they go completely towards supporting our military spouse community. So thank you. Now, before we dive into today's resources, I
2: would love to chat about the latest happenings in your household. Chrissy. how are things going with you? Well, things are going really well. Um, Summer has started off great. We have obviously all my children are home from school, but this week is special because I have them all in summer camp. And so I have, Mm. it feels kind of like they're back in school again. (laughs) It's just a day camp. So they come home for dinner at night and, you know, we still get to hang out and chat about how things went, but they are loving it. And they're not giving me snacks nonstop all day long, which is pretty much (laughs) what summer means here How about for
1: you. Now, are your kids,
2: is this um, a, like a DOD thing or is this a host nation thing? So I have one that's doing a Boy Scout camp and he's actually out of country. He's over in Switzerland, which is wow. just so weird to say. But um, yeah, packing up the passport and the luggage was totally different for that kind of summer camp. <laughs> but um, the other three kids are just at like the local school age center. They, they just have a a wonderful, um, you know, day camp program for, for all those kiddos that are there.
1: Oh, that's great. I'm glad that that's a nice resource that you guys have. That's kind of close to where you are. Well, not the Switzerland one, but what a cool experience (laughs) for one of your kids to just be like, yeah, I just, I spent part of my summer with Boy Scouts in Switzerland. No big deal.
2: Yeah. Just, it's totally memorable. I know that he's going to like be like 30 something and still remember this. And I'm really excited Mm -hmm. for that for him, but, um, it was really tricky to get the kids kids into the day camp here so i was just really happy (laughs) that they made the they made the list so Mm -hmm. just enjoying those little moments and they are too they have all these new friends that they've made because pcs season is upon us and you know old friends have left and now new friends are joining yeah So how about you how is your summer
1: our summer's going well. You know, you're talking about PCS season and we are not in that season of life this year, which is nice, but we yes. are entering the deployment season. So that is Ooh, our current, you know, bag slowly getting packed and sent over. But Ooh, that's heavy. Um, yeah, and you know, it's kind of hard because it is on the tail end of a previous deployment. My husband was deployed last year. So it's just another one rolling around and... <sighs> So we're, you know, we're planning out how we're going to do it, you know, how, what I'm going to do with the kids and what kind of things we're going to do in the lead up so that we can do some fun things. Um, There have been a lot of pool days, lots of family time. So I'm just kind of
2: holding on to that stuff for now. You have to be very intentional with your time together. And Mm -hmm. just because you know that you're going to have a little bit less of it over the next year. I hope it's only about nine months—a short climate, maybe. Or yeah, I mean, that's yeah. what I think. We don't, you really
1: know, like you know how details are. It takes forever yes. till you actually know anything, and you feel. And even like, then, you still don't know. Yeah, it and can, you know, change. People ask when? When is your husband leaving? And or family members? And it's very often. I don't know. Like we have a general idea, but that's it. And so, yeah, we don't know anything about end dates or anything like that. But um, we know yeah. it'll be at least once the kids are back in school. So it's like, it's nice to know yeah. that at least we'll get Literally into that, that routine. Yeah, yeah, like we'll have the routine, the consistency. The kids will actually be settled. So, you know, last year, he missed the first day of school and that was hard for the kids to not have him there for that. Oh yeah, that is hard. So, I, you know, do, little I totally moments. agree, like-
2: Gosh, the amount of times that you're telling people, like, I really don't know the answers to the questions you're asking me. So <laughs> like, I could make one up, but it's, it's not real, you know, like, oh, he's mm-hmm. leaving on August 15th. I'll just make up a date and then you'll stop asking. Right. And yeah. <laughs> no, they won't, And then he doesn't leave anywhere close to that. Right. That's how it would no. go. And then they're like, why is he still here? And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> I just made that date up because you wouldn't stop. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to give you something. Oh, oh yeah, I know. my gosh. So you know funny. like
1: we're we we like to make like a little list before he goes of like some things that we want to do. So we're kind of thinking into that and how we're going to spend our time and you know are we going to travel awesome. um just me and the kids and that kind of stuff. So there are things for them to look
2: forward to that we're building into that time. Yeah, that's awesome. And obviously you have some prior experience with deployments so that mm-hmm. really helps yourself prepare for it and hopefully the kids I mean as they get older I know it gets harder but hopefully they can work through that. Yeah. Another.
1: Yeah. So we'll, you know, we'll find our way, but for now, you know, we, we try to hold on to everything that we have and the fact that he's still here. So we don't get too ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy each day, Mm-hmm. which is, you know, this is a great kind of natural segue, I think for us, um, in, um, Doing our resource recon is something that we like to do um, every so often with our our podcasts. And this week, we're actually pulling from a blog post with a post that's titled, Don't Wait for Tomorrow, Life Isn't a Dress Rehearsal, which is by our band of blogger member, Sheila Rupp. And Sheila actually writes, don't wait for tomorrow, especially in the season of PCSs. It's not uncommon to hear military spouses say, when we're in our forever house, when we retire, when our kids are older, someday we'll do that. And I've been guilty of this myself. I remember a few years ago, we were looking at new furniture and I immediately thought maybe after this duty station. I grew up hearing my dad say this isn't a dress rehearsal, referring to life in general. I'm not sure that I fully appreciated it until adulthood. It resonates even more today as I realize the time we have with our teenager in the house ticks away each day. And she goes on to say that we shouldn't wait for a day far off in the future. We should be living in our now. And I think that, you know, talking about <laughs> deployment, I think that is such a, a nice way to think, you know, we, we so often are thinking ahead and five steps ahead because we have to, mm-hmm. but in that action, we have to be cautious and use
2: our time wisely. That is so true. And obviously with the deployment, a lot of times you're like wishing the days away to like, to be back in that day that you're reunited again. But mm-hmm. obviously you can't just waste those, you know, three months, six months, nine months, a year, however long that deployment is, and not actually grow yourself or develop or, you know, do anything, you really have to take that time to, it's a great time to explore yourself. And okay, what do I really enjoy doing? And, you know, do something at that time, just sitting around and wishing the time away is not a good idea. And the Mm -hmm. funny thing is that, the note that she said about like looking at furniture. I literally bought furniture the month before we PCS'd. It was <laughs> one of those things where I was like, I must have this now. <laughs> and then I did regret it on the other end. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's broken already. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it still is functional and it still looks beautiful in my home. And that's all that matters.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I catch myself doing the same thing often in any time. Like you'll see sometimes your beat up furniture and you're like, oh, you know, eventually I'm going to replace this and we won't have furniture that has scratches in it or missing pieces or whatever. Mm -hmm. But then you think at the same time, when you get to that point and you can buy the furniture that is all nice and pretty, you're not going to be moving anymore. And so what, how will your life have changed at that point? You know? You won't have as many new experiences. You're not gonna be crossing paths with so many people or maybe you will, you never know. But I don't wanna wish away the military time either.
2: (laughs) No, I've actually truly enjoyed it and was just talking with a a military spouse friend that I've made, I don't even know, three different duty stations past, like three duty Mm -hmm. stations ago and we're still in touch. And we were talking about how we really enjoyed you know, like moving to new places and meeting people and exploring new locations. And it's just kind of become our lifestyle, regardless of the fact that I had 25 years of living in the same hometown and never once, you know, like (laughs) moved in my life, it's like kind of become the new me, which is, which is pretty awesome. And I enjoy, I enjoy that and living in each location and, you know, each day. As we all should. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, I guess now it's time to switch some gears. So let's hear from some of the other members on our command team. Next, we're going to hear from our Empowerment Patrol Report, followed by our weekly Moxie Minute, and then top stories from our new six correspondent.
0: We here at Mission Mill Spouse never doubt the strength of our military spouse tribe. Here is our Director of Empowerment with this week's Empowerment Patrol Report.
3: Hello, Mission Mill spouse listeners. This is your director of empowerment, Amanda Bickney, bringing you this week's empowerment patrol report. Today, we are showcasing our everyday empowerment recipient, Sarah Wilkening, nominated by our very own Jolene McNutt. Jolene shares that Sarah is a former service member, a mill spouse to her Navy husband, and a mom to five wonderful kiddos. She manages her household. With a husband who has military demands that we're all familiar with, with always a positive and bubbly personality. She somehow balances her children's school, their activities, and a career. Sarah is incredibly creative, and Jolene says she's been lucky enough to work with her and learn from her. She is so inspiring. On behalf of Mission Mill Spouse, thank you so much to Sarah for doing your part to empower military families all across the globe. Until next time, I'm Amanda Bickneys reminding you, empowered spouses, empower spouses.
0: Unlike our calendar plans, our commitment to serve military spouses is written in ink. Now, continuing our 18-year legacy is Mission Mill Spouse Deputy Director of Empowerment with this week's Moxie Minute.
4: Hello there, listeners. This is Amy Fisher here with your Moxie Minute, and this is just a minute of encouragement. We want to take the time to tell you that we are here for you. We are so excited to have you a part of Mission Mill Spouse Pages and Podcast. We hope that you reach out and find us on Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and our blog. We would also love to hear from you. Email us anytime with questions or thoughts or ideas. We will definitely get back to you on that. If you know something that you think would take off or help a spouse, that is what we are here for. We are all about pouring out free resources and being here for other military spouses and because we've been there. We've been through deployments. We've been through PCSs. We've been through ditties moving on our own. We've moved without our spouses, you name it. We've probably done it a few times over. And that is what's so great about this team is that we are volunteers and we genuinely care about each and every one of you. And we are here for you guys just as much as we are here for our own team members. So keep an eye out for new things. Like I said, new blogs, jump on our stories, tag us. We would love to see some things that you're up to and share those moments with us so that we can encourage each other together. All right, everybody until next week, Moxie up.
0: No news is typically good news in this military life, except on the Mission Mill podcast. Here is our News 6 correspondent with this week's top stories.
5: Howdy y'all and buckle up for this week's News 6 update. PCS pet policy to put money back in pockets. Set to start January 1st, 2024, families will be reimbursed $550 for one household pet in a move with the continental U.S., and $2,000 for one pet to move outside the continental US. This comes as a huge relief for military pet lovers as most of the costs have always been covered by the service member. These will cover the high budget aspects of pet relocation, including mandatory pet quarantine and shipping costs. It is estimated that this will affect an average of 277,000 service members during the fiscal year of 2024. Unfortunately, for those of us in the thick of the 2023 PCS cycle, We will not be reimbursed for any four-legged costs. The wording is also clear that these reimbursements will only be for dogs and cats. Hammy the hamster will still be an all-expenses-paid-by-you kind of deal. Historically, service members paid the majority of their out-of-pocket expenses to transport pets when assigned to a new duty station, according to the announcement. This policy reduces that financial burden while recognizing the important role a pet plays in a military family's household. While I'm personally bummed that this year's PCS survivors will still be paying for FIDO's mandatory resort vacation, it is nice to see the military acknowledging our furry family members as part of the crew. Find out more at defense.gov. DOD Council to amplify military family voices over housing concerns. As any military family who has lived in privatized military housing knows, there is much to improve and much that is overlooked. Lawmakers are hoping to change this with a new council. It is unacceptable for any of our service members and their families to live in unsafe military housing with black mold, collapsed roofs, or exposed electrical wires because DOD is failing in its oversight responsibilities, said Senator Elizabeth Warren, D. Massachusetts, chair of the Senate Armed Services Personnel Subcommittee in a statement. It is co-sponsored by Senators Jean Shaheen, Democrat, New Hampshire, and Maisie Hirano, Democrat Hawaii. A companion bill is expected to be introduced in the House by Representative Sarah Jacobs, D. California, with co-sponsor Representative Stephanie Weiss, R. Oklahoma. My bipartisan bill with Senators Shaheen and Hirano and Representatives Jacobs and Weiss will mandate increased oversight of military housing, including DOD's creation of a public complaint database and report its work to Congress so that military families receive the safe housing they deserve, Warren said. This council would be called the Defense Military Housing Readiness Council, and its job would be to review DoD policies on privatized military housing and recommend changes. The council would be made up of service members and spouses and also advocacy representatives. Armed Forces Housing Advocates is thrilled to see a bill in line with our calls for third-party oversight of privatized military housing, said Kate Needham Kano, Executive Director of the organization. As a nonprofit, we continue to advocate that an impartial group of experts would be a common-sense solution to improving living conditions and providing support to the DoD and housing companies to provide safe and habitable houses. Readiness starts with a safe home. The Council's proposed plan would involve assessments of the adequacy and effectiveness of privatized housing and DOD in meeting the housing needs of military families, analysis of tenants' complaints, data on maintenance response time and completion of maintenance requests, assessments of dispute resolution processes, assessments of overall customer service, assessments of results of housing inspections, any survey results conducted on behalf of the council or received by the council, and recommendations on actions to improve privatized military housing. The council would meet twice a year. While we all know advocacy starts at home, it's nice to see lawmakers advocate for our homes. Find out more at militarytimes.com. Out with shotgun weddings and in with chatbot weddings. Reese Winch and Dayton Truitt wanted to get married in Colorado before Dayton was sent to deploy with the Army. They had just five days to plan it, and in a bind, they relied on an interesting source for help. Short on funds and time, they asked a chatbot to officiate the wedding as Colorado does not require a licensed marriage official for a marriage to be valid. The AI was hesitant at first. It said, no, I can't do this. I don't have eyes. I don't have a body. I can't officiate at your wedding, which recounted what the bot said. It was eventually convinced and fed the appropriate information. During the ceremony, I will eloquently express the significance of this historic moment and the limitless possibilities that arise when love and technology intersect, the bot wrote in its statement. The couple placed a robot mask over a speaker to give the impression that someone was actually there officiating in front of the 30 guests that attended. The couple did, however, keep the vow-making duties, writing their own to each other. We've all seen weddings and quirky situations due to training and deployments, but this one, quite literally, takes the cake. Find out more at foxnews.com. This Day in History On July 10, 1913, the United States experienced the hottest day ever recorded at a whopping 134 degrees Fahrenheit. The temperature was taken in Death Valley, California. This is not only the hottest recorded temperature in the U.S., but in the world. Ironically, it hit this dangerous temperature at a ranch called Furnace Creek. It is now home to the Death Valley State Park and also has a reservation where Native Americans of the Timbisha tribe still reside. At the time the temperature was recorded, Furnace Creek was an alfalfa ranch and then became a borax mining and operations facility before being bought by the federal government as a state park. Check in on your Fort Irwin friends, y'all. They are only three hours away from Furnace Creek and not okay. That's it for me. I'm Emma Ty with News Six, where information empowers.
1: It's true listeners, no news is good news in military life except for when it's coming from our Mission Mill spouse News Six correspondent. So thank you to Emma for always keeping us in the need to know news loop. Also, thanks to our Empowerment Branch members, Amanda and Amy, for encouraging our male spouse hearts on this challenging yet adventure-filled journey. Let's take a quick break, then stay tuned for today's main event when Kathleen Palmer, our Director of Content, interviews Karen Tram, the author of 100 Days Smart.
0: Here at Mission Mill Spouse, military spouses are our primary focus. We have more than 2,600 blogs with topics including PCS, parenting, career guidance, humor, deployment, and more. Whether you're dating a service member, have just said I do as a new spouse, or are a seasoned spouse with a whole collection of PCS stickers on your furniture, we have something for you. But hey, don't just take our word for it.
4: I'm Lindsay, and when my husband joined the military, I was completely lost when it came to assimilating to military life and culture. This organization made me feel like I had support, a new community I could lean on, and equip me with invaluable information about
6: military spouse life.
0: Tap into all of our empowering resources at missionmillspouse.org or follow us across all social media platforms at Mission Millspouse.
7: Welcome Mission Mill Spouse podcast listeners. I'm Kathleen Palmer, your director of content here at Mission Mill Spouse, and I'm excited to be bringing you today's episode that will empower and educate you. Today's guest is Karen Tram, a retired Dodea educator who is here to share with us her book, 100 Days Smart that chronicles the first 100 days of the COVID-19 pandemic while teaching on an American army installation in Northern Italy, the epicenter of the European crisis. Karen Tram is a DoDEA educator who has a master's degree in early education from Anderbelt University. Her first overseas teaching assignment was on Guam. Since then, as a Navy wife, parent, and early childhood educator, she has lived and worked in the Philippines, Germany, Italy, iceland the u.s and spain 16 of those years were spent in vincenza italy where her memoir takes place karen retired from dodea in 2022 and now lives with her husband in florida karen welcome to the mission Mill spouse podcast
8: thank you so much kathleen i'm excited to be
7: here oh we are super excited to have you love love the premise of your book because i think now we're really seeing the effects of the pandemic especially on education Um, I wanna start with um, the fact that you've lived and worked in a number of overseas locations. And can you tell us about your journey with DoDEA? So my first overseas
8: teaching job was in Guam and it wasn't a DoDEA school at Dodds at that time. Um, There weren't any out there then, but two important things happened while I was in Guam that led me to DoDEA. One was that I fell in love with overseas adventures and uh, wanted to pursue that. And number two, the counselor at the school I worked at was actually an Air Force spouse. And Mm -hmm. she told me about Dodds and said, this would be a good fit for you. So the next year, I went back to the States uh, to go to graduate school. And I applied for Dodds. And I got assigned a school in Subic Bay in the Philippines. So I was there for two years. That's where I met my husband, uh, Gene. He was in the Navy then. And we didn't get married then, but he... Ah, uh, transferred to Naples, Italy, and I got a transfer to Germany to Bamberg. I was so excited to be in the same on the same continent at that time. <laughs> we um, we got married that year, and I moved down to Naples, and I taught two more years down there. And then I had break in service from Dodds for a while. He went to Monterey to go to uh, the Naval Postgraduate School. We had mm. our two boys there, and then we went to Iceland. And in Iceland. Um, we loved iceland but i didn't work there they offered me a job at the dodia school there but i was really committed to being home with my my boys because not everybody gets to do that and it to me it was a gift to have that time to be with them so um i was a stay at home mom then i uh, took some classes i wrote for the base newspaper did i had a photo business there did some other things like we all do when we get the military spouse way.
7: You got it. (laughs) That's right. We'll
8: talk more about that later. We went to, we went to Virginia beach after that. um, My husband, uh, Gene, he's a meteorologist. He was on the Theodore Roosevelt. And then we went to Rota Spain. And when we were in Spain, my boys both uh, went back to, went to school. My youngest went to kindergarten and I went back to school as well and, and started teaching again. And while I was there, I got offered a job in Italy in Vicenza and, Uh, but Gene was going to have to retire if he wanted to come with. We've probably, some of us, been in that situation as well. So I went on with the boys and moved to Italy and got situated and started school. He finished his time in Rhoda and then retired and joined us there. And later on, he became certified to teach, and he taught physics at the high school there. We ended up being in Vicenza for 16 years, and we loved every minute of it. Most of it. Well, maybe not all of it during the pandemic, but, <laughs> but most of it. And um, it was very hard to leave. It was time to it was time to come back. You know, the pandemic changed some things for us, but um, we loved our Italian life and uh, we love our life in
7: Florida now, too. Well, I can completely understand about the Italian life. We enjoyed our time in Italy as well. But I think, too, that, you know, you have been like at a cross section of places. It's amazing. And that DoDEA was almost kind of like that was almost like your service as well, you know, serving the military community. So thank you for Absolutely. doing that and teaching with your husband. We have to talk about that later. I can't even imagine <laughs> that. <laughs> We have some stories. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Um, so let's look about your overseas life. I mean, from Guam, you know, to Iceland, to Italy, um, you've seen it all. But what impact has that had on you on your worldview? How you see? Well, things?
8: I, I think that I've learned one of the most important lessons is to learn to be more tolerant and understanding of differences, um, both cultural and personal, uh, you know, different isn't better or worse. It's it's just different. So we try to embrace those differences and to appreciate other people for who they are and other cultures for what they are. Um, I, you know, we try not to be judgmental because it's how we learn about others by looking outside ourselves. So I think that's one of the important things. And I hope that I've shared that with my own personal children and with my students. I I feel like I've learned to be more patient, to be observant and flexible. You know, flexibility is really not my forte. I work hard on that, but I've tried to learn to roll with things as a military spouse. I think we're all experts on that, whether you're overseas or not. You know, you have to expect the unexpected because, of course, you know that's coming. (laughs) You have to embrace it. You have to adapt. Um, I listened to one of your podcasts from, uh, I think, Sherita Noblock was the, the one doing it. And she made a comment about moving forward, she said, but or moving on. She said instead of moving on, we say bounce forward. And I love that. I thought that was such a good phrase. So I'm going to try to use it more often to bounce forward when things happen because you know they always do.
7: Um, right. And Sharita has that great perspective too. And it's like it's not just taking a step forward. Sometimes you just got to like propel yourself yeah. forward to get past it. So yeah, that's excellent. Excellent point. Yeah, yeah. I
8: love that. You know, and the last thing I want to say about about being overseas is that I've tried to uh, jump in to, to take risk, go local, learn the language. And you know, sometimes I really botch things up with the language. <laughs> I've probably given the locals a lot of funny things to laugh at. But you just, I think they appreciate it when you try. I can remember when we moved to Spain, we try to teach our kids just some real basic. Uh, numbers and colors and things like that. And we went to the park and my younger son r- goes running out there because he sees some kids and they ask him what his name is. And of course he doesn't understand them. He thinks, Oh, they asked me how old I was because yeah. that's what everybody asks a f- little kid. So he <laughs> says Cinco. So all day they called him Cinco. They thought that was his <laughs> name and it, it's hilarious. It didn't bother any of them. They they didn't think it was funny and he didn't think anything was wrong with it. So they just played. And I just love that as an example <laughs> Of jumping in you just do it and if you mess up you just keep going you bounce <laughs> forward right
7: you sure do that's hilarious though that that is the <laughs> cutest thing i've heard in a long time you just have to keep your sense of humor right you sure do and it's funny you say that because like a lot of countries you're in when you try to speak their language a little bit they get excited except for germany they would cut me off like let's just speak english like <laughs> they didn't have any time for my bad german at all there but yeah <laughs> Definitely. I, I love it. So tolerance, flexibility, and take some risks, learn the local. I really love that. That was a, Those are great little lessons that you pulled from that. And I imagine they're probably somewhere in your, in your book or in some of your writing as well. I want to shift gears to your book a little bit. And I'm, we're going to start that where, before we get into the book. Let's talk about, let's talk education. So how do DoDEA schools, um, used to be Dodd schools and now DoDEA, how do they compare with stateside schools from your perspective as a teacher?
8: So I know that you have experience too. So feel free to jump in if you want to <laughs> say something. But I think in in the in big picture that military families, military connected families have a high value on education. And that's really reflected in how parents are involved in the schools. There are a lot of spouses that are employed by the schools on all levels, teaching support staff in the office. We have a lot of volunteers I feel like the commands are really uh, supportive of parents that want to go and volunteer. They are supportive of conference times. They, They give time off to come in for conferences. So that's really important. The commands partner with the schools for different projects. And then there's all of the outside stuff. There's the military family life counselors, there's MWR, the art center, the youth center, youth sports, all of those things work together to just create this great environment for our kids. Um, And I think probably one of the most important things is that everybody's family has a job, they have a home, they have healthcare. So those basic needs are taken care of to start with. And when you have that as as a platform or as a beginning, that's a great start. That's a that's something really important. And I'm not trying to downplay the challenges because we have incredible challenges that stateside schools sure. don't have always like just living overseas, deployments, the TDY, the the high turnover of family members, those kind of things. But in the big picture, I think that Dodia has so many programs to support those students, and I'll say that that's both for our overseas schools and for our stateside schools.
7: I completely concur with everything that you said about that. And one of the things I found too, it does make it an even playing field a little bit, you know, knowing that some of those, like you talk about Maslow and the hierarchy of needs. I mean, those basic right. needs are met and that does help you teach and help the kids learn. I would say too, um, the, the student uh, teacher ratio is so much lower in DoDEA because of the sheer, you know, there's not as many numbers, um, but I think they cap that. Like, don't they, they make a real point and try to keep those numbers low, don't they?
8: We do. They do. For me in kindergarten, it was 18 to one and with an aid. And that's another thing, you know, state stateside schools don't always give kindergarten teachers aids anymore. And for me, I always had a full-time aid and that was,
7: that was huge. Yeah. And the only other thing I think that um, I, I don't know if they're still doing them because I stopped teaching uh, for Dodia, I think in 15, but um, we used to take our kids on field trips. And I remember taking the kids to go see, um, we did the Anne Frank house and we did all these, crazy things where you're reading the literature and then seeing the places. And I think that's just something you can't do in the stateside environment, obviously. Um, so it is, it is quite an experience, I think, to be educated over there.
8: Absolutely. I would love, I love trips where my own personal children both went to school there where that involved a passport and a suitcase. I yes. just God, who gets that, you know, that is just so important. Not just not it's, it just expands their worldview as well. It makes life richer. I used to have this travel bulletin board in my classroom. and They had to bring me a postcard when they came back from a trip. And I would look at it and I would see Paris and London and Rome and all these other places. And I think these kids don't know how lucky they are. They'll see a picture and they'll go, oh, that's the Eiffel Tower. I've been there. And it's true. It's just fabulous.
7: It really is, and and I think it's. It, it, I think that's one of the reasons why there are so many people that love to do overseas assignments. And I think that's like the beauty of it. You really do get that small town feel, but you get all these benefits. And yeah, it was just great. And I coached um, the volleyball team at the high school, and so we traveled to. We took the channel to go to England to play games. We went to Naples, and we did all these things. And I thought, wow, you know, like in back in the states, I'd be driving the the yellow bus down the road, I um, Highway eighty going nowhere, you know. <laughs> That's right. So it was fun. Well, let's get, let's move into your book a little bit. So why did you decide to write 100 Days Smart?
8: So in the beginning, I, well, on the 100th day of school, we had our little party and celebrating the 100th day, 100th day. I put the kids on the bus and I said, I'll see you Monday, but our schools were closed over the weekend. Um, The first death in Italy happened just a couple miles away from the base. And so Mm -hmm. the Italian schools were shut. shut. Our schools were shut for two days. And they said, you know, we're going to be closed two days. But that turned into a week, turned into two weeks. It turned in for the rest of the school year. And I never saw my kids again after that. So I had a lot of processing to do personally. Um, But about two weeks in, I guess it was, I was just trying to to make sense of all of the things that were happening in my head because it was extreme and it was fast. And um, I asked my husband just to bring me the legal pad. I woke up one morning and I just started writing because I just felt like I needed to get it out. And I wrote for a hundred days and I just journaled it and uh, about what happened there, what happened with my own family. I had um, one of my sons was in school and college in Miami. The other one was in the Peace Corps in Thailand and they couldn't come home. When everybody got evacuated and moved around and quarantined and whatnot, so there was a lot of a lot of things that were going on in my life, and I just felt like um, writing was going to help me process this. And also, you, there are so many people that are unaware of DoDIA schools; they don't do, don't know that we have this whole system that exists to support the children of our military families. And I think that's important too for people to know. There were people there, were little kids that were on the front line of this pandemic before anything was going on in the States. These kids were already being affected by it and and how they dealt with it. They were they were my little heroes that and their parents, they they were amazing, flexible, and I'm so proud of them. So I hope that, you know, one of the things that comes out of this book, aside from Shining a spotlight on these kids in our system is that I've noticed as I've had conversations with people, COVID is a a difficult topic to talk about because it's still raw, it's still controversial uh, and, and divisive sometimes. But once people start talking, both young people, older people, it doesn't matter. They all they all have a story and everybody's story is valid. It doesn't matter. I mean, some of the stories are scary. They're painful. They're fearful. Some of the stories are humorous. It it, it doesn't matter. It's everybody has a story. And I hope that this book can provide a place where conversations can start, because I think we all need to have some some conversation just to process what what's going on what happened with us
7: Yeah. And I would agree with that totally. And I think as an educator um, and even in education, I look at it like a a deployment. I mean, sometimes there's problems in a family or in a situation and a a deployment will just magnify those problems. And I feel like the pandemic really magnified some, you know, things that we can see are wrong in education or things that we could do better, you know, even in a classroom setting. And I I think that just shined a big spotlight on it. Um, So one of the things that you talk about is routine. and, um, And I think routine is important in any classroom given any circumstance, but why during the pandemic lockdown was it so important and how did you establish it uh, during that time?
8: So, you know, we're we're in the great unknown as soon as this happened. And, and that's why we have routine is, is so we can navigate the course, especially when we're in an unknown. You know, this is exactly why we tell parents when during a PCS, Keep your kids in school as long as you can and then put them back in school as soon as you can, because it gives them some routine. It gives them some predictability. It lets them know what to expect. And during virtual school, no one knew what to expect. We Things at home were different and crazy and school was different and crazy. So if I could give them some sort of routine, some little bit of semblance of what we had going on before, that was a positive thing. So we would... I would have the kids log on. I'd let them come on a little early so they could all chit-chat with each other because that was important for them to maintain their sense of community. And when they were home missing their friends, you know, how do you how do you fix that for them? So they had a little five minutes of you know, getting together and chit chatting. And then we would come, we would come together and try to do the same kind of routines we did at school. We'd sing a hello song, we do our calendar, we do our weather graph, try to do some things like that. Um, and then I would do a morning a little morning message with them during the meeting, and then send them off to do their own little assignments. I'd meet with my kids one-on-one or with my aide, and then we'd all come back together after lunch, and we'd read a story, and we'd talk about our day, and we'd write, we'd do a little writing assignment. We'd, the kids would write their own newsletters, so we'd do a little blurb about our day, and it's a lot different when you write about your day when you're home than when you're at school, so they might be telling me things about their cat or whatever, but It doesn't matter. You know, we're going to we're going to do this every day because that was what was important to them that day. And that was really we just really needed to communicate. So, um, you know, building that routine, I felt like was one of the most important things I did, almost as important as the content that I was trying to give them. Dodia didn't require the kids to be at every meeting. But I, my kids were there pretty much 99% of the time. And I think, again, because they really craved that routine and that f- familiarity, and they were reaching out for just to have some little semblance of what their life used to be. So they would come on in the morning, and they would come back in the afternoon almost every day, almost every kid. So I feel like if I didn't do anything else for them, uh, I hope I taught them. But I really wanted just for them to maintain that sense of community and connection. That was That was my mission.
7: That's amazing. And I think routine is, is like so important anyway, in in most people's lives and daily lives. So I think that that's, it's so great that you focused on just that simple thing of establishing and maintaining the routine and it probably enabled them to learn a lot more um, and and enable you to teach a little bit better, especially with the one-on-ones. That's incredible. And I also want to know, do any of the kids talk about their snacks? Because I feel like they got more snacks being at home. And that was something that a lot of my kids talked about was get a snack I, every hour.
8: They did talk about their snacks and their dogs and cats and their parents. And we they talked about everything. And I saw everything. I mean, it was, there are some things that I put in the book and there are some things I couldn't put in the book. <laughs> it was interesting. It was, it was lovely, though. My parents were so good. Really good. Uh,
7: I can't wait to read it. Okay, Karen, I'm gonna we're gonna pause for just a little break here. I thank you okay. so much already for sharing all about your military spouse journey and your overseas life and your DODIA teaching. Um, but I'm gonna address the listeners now. And if you'd like to learn more about how Karen, about Karen, and how she is empowering military families, you can connect with her through Facebook and Instagram and her handle. I'm gonna spell it for you. But as always, it's in the show notes. K A R Karin Tramm. Author, or by visiting her website www. karintramm. We will be right back after this short break.
6: Our sponsor is Defenders Gateway, a St. Louis-based company who is building the Defenders Network, a national network of support for all defenders and their families. Whether you're an active military, veteran, or first responder family, many of you have experienced long hours, family separations, missed birthdays, or special occasions. Perhaps you've experienced the trauma of violence, death, or serious injury. You have answered your nation's call. Defenders Gateway's mission is to serve and support you by growing a relevant resource hub, providing easy access to nonprofits, businesses honoring you with savings, health and wellness resources, transition and educational programs, job listings, and career opportunities. Activate your virtual ID in the app. Download today as thousands more resources are coming, including the new Defenders Gateway Chat and Kids Corner. Find the Defenders Gateway app at Google Play Store or Apple Play Store. Our mission is to globally empower military
0: spouses with resources and support to conquer adversity, foster confidence, and thrive in this military life. Whether you are an individual, a Fortune 500 company, Or somewhere in between, join us on our mission. Make your tax deductible contribution at MissionMillspouse.org, or if you're a business interested in sharing your product or services with our more than 100,000 followers, email partner at MissionMillspouse.org. Military spouses around the world, thank you for your support.
7: Welcome back listeners, we're continuing our conversation with Karen Tram, who is here today to talk to us about her book, 100 Days Smart, a narrative that journals experiences of teachers, students, and parents living through the onset of the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic in Northern Italy. Okay, Karen, we're jumping right back in. In regards to virtual teaching, in what ways did you have to reinvent yourself as an educator?
8: Oh my goodness, (laughs) this was... This was all new. So the first thing I want to do, since we had talked a little bit about reinventing yourself as a spouse earlier, I was just going to read a little quote from my book. Reinvention is what military spouses do best. In my past lives, I've been a teacher, a stay-at-home mom, a travel writer, a bartender, a grad student, a photographer, and finally a teacher again. Every time our family moved to a new duty station, it required a restart. New home, new friends, new job, new life. And so it goes for a Navy wife. Now, this job would, would require a restart as well. As much as I didn't embrace change, I had plenty of experience with it. And I think that is true for all military spouses. We oh. might not embrace change. I don't, but I had lots of experience with it. So I, it was risky and scary, but you just had to go. You just had to go with it.
7: Oh, preach it. You're absolutely right. And I think that's even as a teacher, you've been teaching for 20 some odd years. All of a sudden now it it is like starting over and going back to basics. And so, yeah, I'm sure that did. So, so going into the classroom, what things did you have to do that you maybe were already programmed to do as an educator?
8: So the first thing I had to do was learn how to involve parents in a new way because they were the home teachers. And I had to think of ways that the kids could do hands-on learning at home with their parents instead of just throwing out a computer program and going, okay, go to this program and do these activities. I really wanted them to find cylinders in the kitchen, open your cabinets and look for cylinders, that kind of thing. I want it to be hands-on. I don't Mm -hmm. want them to have a lot of screen time. They get a lot of screen time already, and I felt like I just wanted to make it as much hands-on as I could, and my the second chapter of my book is called Robo Teacher, and that's, that's because that's what I felt like I had to turn into. I didn't, I have to say, I wasn't very tech-savvy when this started my um I, again, I think kids get a lot of screen time already. And when they're at school, they deserve face-to-face instruction with me. I'm going to read to them. We're going to play games. We're going to sing songs. We're going to have hands on. So I didn't have them on the computer that much. I have them busy doing other things. I was mm-hmm. proud that I could write a newsletter and turn it into a PDF and send it to all the parents. I thought I was just, you know, <laughs> hot stuff for being able to do that. And that was about it. So when this happened, we really had to quickly uh, adapt. And I'm gonna just give a shout out right now to my aide. Her name is Megan Darnell and she was awesome. I, she was working on her master's online at the time. So she knew how to do a lot of the things that we were being tasked to learn. So you know, she was helping, she helped me find online resources. She helped me set up my Google Classroom. She cleaned up a lot of my tech messes before I even knew I made them. And she was so nice, she would not always tell me You know, she just would fix things. She was like Wonder Woman. And I just appreciated her so much for that. And I just have to say, I had a lot of take a big breath moments because I had a lot of learning to do. But I think we can all agree that our big breath moments are opportunities for learning and they make us stronger and they make us better. So
7: they do yeah. and i i think what you said about using parents in a new way that has be, that probably is such a like an eye opener on both sides i mean parents who were just happy to let teachers go and only call me if there's a problem turning into okay now i'm i'm responsible for helping my child do this so i bet that was a definitely a different perspective
8: was well, it a new perspective for everybody for sure mm-hmm.
7: absolutely um i love i love that though take a breath is always a good thing um, you know, as well. And I think, you know, when we talked about some of the other things for the isolation of the lockdown, that actually had another impact on education as well. For, for many people, it led to anxiety, depression. Um, did you use social networking to connect with the family, friends and colli- colleagues? How did you handle all that with your so, own experience? So
8: I think, you know, as any any military families that are stationed, not even just overseas, but anywhere, when you're away from your your home your place you grew up, you're going to have systems in place. So we had in place, you know, FaceTime with my kids, um, Facebook Messenger with my parents in Florida. We, it was a challenge because like I said, in the beginning, one was in Miami, six hours behind us, and one was in Thailand, six hours ahead of us. So we take, we played a lot of time zone tag in the beginning, Um, but we made things work. And I think we also, um, we learned to do the Zoom. We learned to do Virtual birthday parties. We had a 60th birthday party for my husband virtually, and it was so much fun because we have friends all around the world, and they all just came in from different all over the planet. People just jumped in to this virtual birthday party, so it was kind of a fun thing. And I think a lot of people did those kind of things. Um, Our team, our kindergarten team, would meet not just for the faculty meaning we would meet um, every Friday and have a real quick check-in what happened this week. But it was really kindergarten happy hour and we would have a glass of wine and we would talk about the funny things that happened because a lot of funny things did happen and I think it was okay to to embrace the humor in our situation because you know sometimes it's laugh or cry and choosing to laugh really I think helps you be in a better place. And then we also had Navy friends that were in the community. So we would do Navy happy hour with them every Saturday. We would we Zoomed with each other, and we all had kids that were in the States going to school at that time. And none of them could come to Italy, like I said before, because travel was closed. And a lot of them, their dorms or apartments, they had to leave. And, okay, where's your kid? What are they doing? Who are they with? Because they... The you know, logistics yeah. were difficult trying to figure out where they're gonna go. My my son couldn't go with my parents because they were in their 80s and he couldn't be with them. And he was lucky he got to stay in his apartment. He was on campus because he was at an international school in Miami. But oh guess what? There's like four people in the apartment building for a few months and it was was isolating. And we we worried. We had daily contact with him just to make sure he was, you know on the right track. That was, that was hard. So social networking on all levels with the family, with the kids, of course, and the parents, but also with our colleagues and our friends. It was, that was really a critical, important thing that, that came out of this. And I think it's a positive too, because we really learned to communicate in different ways, different situations.
7: It is. In my time with Jodia, I remember that my colleagues were very social and we did a lot of things together, you know, not just, you know, regarding, you know, students, but we even faculty meetings turned into potlucks and things like right. that. So, yeah, so I, I can imagine that it must have been definitely a different, a different change for how most of your staff was working. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of change, were there any changes that took place during the pandemic that, you, that turned out to be positive and that you have kept as a teacher?
8: Well, I feel like, um, again, what we talked about, learning to communicate in different ways was an important thing. And we've also, you know, I became more tech savvy. I learned a lot. And that was good because we went back to school in the fall. We were only virtual for the end of that school year. And the the army wanted us back in school because we were there for a mission and they couldn't do their mission unless we were doing ours. So our kids went back right away. So we were, but they were, you know, spread out at desks or six foot tables and all that. It was challenging. So um, the things that I learned during virtual school were uh, positive for me because I was able to carry them over to that situation later. Um, but I I think also I want to tell I want to tell a little story about a book club that I met. And this has to do with the pandemic as well. Uh, These are prior Dodia students who were together in England, in Woodbridge, in the 70s. And they've been in touch for 50-some years. They've just kept in touch with each other. And during the pandemic, they decided to start a book club. And they invited their high school English teacher, Dr. Barbara Furt Carter, and they are continuing to have this book club. And so I was able to be a guest on their book club uh, earlier this month and it was amazing to talk with these people and it and it just showed it was it was beautiful to see what a um, impression that Dodia and Dodia teachers make because for 50 years this group of kids have stayed they're not kids now they're my age they've stayed yeah. together <laughs> They've they've still been close. And then during the pandemic, they started this book club. So I just wanted to to shout out to the Wood, Woodbridge Book Club, because I was so impressed with that and the fact that they invited their teacher to come to. I thought that was awesome.
7: That is awesome. As Woodbridge, England, correct? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, we have a lot of teachers on our in our Mission Mill Spouse command team. So perhaps when we do a book club as well, maybe we'll have to uh, invite you to come speak at yeah. ours. Let's be awesome. talk about that later. I would love that. Um, and so um, my next question has to do with where we can find more information about your mission to support other military spouses. And basically, um, I'd like to kind of talk a little bit more, not just that, but about your books. Um, because now are you, you're published by Elva Reza Publishing, correct? Is that right? Yes.
8: That is correct. And, and they specialize in resources for and about military family life. They have deployment journals. They have picture books for kids. We have a couple really nice. They have a couple of really nice things coming out. There's uh, an Air Force pilot, Terry Weber, who's just working, who's working on an Operation Aviation Series. And it's a picture books for kids with, with wow. different airplanes as characters. It looks very fun. Uh, my friend Cheryl Johnson, she has a book coming called My Brother Goes to Boot Camp. That's coming next year also. Amanda Huffman wrote A Girl's Guide to Military Service. She just won an award for this book. This is about teen girls. Uh, girls that yeah. are considering going into the military. There are books about supporting adult military children, uh, facilitating remote work as a military spouse. So wow. Elva Resa has a plethora of quality resources, and they're available through their website or military family books.
7: And is your book available just through the Elva or Can we get it through? And you can, the listeners will want to know where to get it from. Where, where can, can we get you
8: them? You can get it anywhere. Elva, okay. I will say this. Ordering it through Military Family Books is best because they uh, money that goes to them gets spent on uh, programs for military families. So that's the best place to buy the book would be Military Family Books, but um, you can Get it at Amazon. You can get it at Barnes, order it mm-hmm. at Barnes and Noble, anywhere that sells books. You could, if it's not on the shelf, you can order it.
7: I also see when I was doing a little research on you that you wrote a book. Um, I'm not sure where it is actually published, but it's Schooling with Uncle Sam. Was that one of yours? It's
8: it's an anthology. So I have a short story in that. That was put oh. out by the um, Museum of the American Military Family out in New yeah. Mexico. And these are also former Dogea people who put together stories students and parents and different people that are um, connected with DoDEA. So I just have one short story in there. It's called uh, Teacher. There's a cobra on the slide. And it was about something that happened when I was in the Philippines in my classroom, yeah. <laughs> when I had a visitor, uh cobra. And ah. um, seriously, and then th- there's a, a companion piece to that as well. And it's called Host Nation Hospitality, because they had so many stories, they decided to do a second volume. So both of those are available on Amazon and they support that museum, the Museum of the American Military Family. And um, if your readers are interested, it's some fun stories to read. Those books are awesome.
7: Oh, that's great. Yeah, that that's great. And we'll add those to we'll add those to the show notes after we get when I finish the exactly. interview. I'll put those in there because that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, you have done a lot, Miss Karen Tram. I'm just telling you, I'm impressed. Um, I'm excited to read your book and it should get here before I move, which will be fabulous. <laughs> as as I, I'm sure that my mail will be forwarded. Um, so we're gonna wrap up our conversation. So um, if there's anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners, um, please do so. But one question we ask our guests is, what's one piece of advice you would give our listeners to navigate military life with respect to your area of expertise?
8: So I think the most important thing that I, that you can do as parents of military connected kids is to communicate with your child's teacher and make that part of your routine because teachers aren't trying to be nosy, but they really need to know what's going on in each child's life to best meet their needs. You know, most of the time we know when a deployment is coming, but they, even little things like grandma and grandpa are coming to visit or... We have a new dog. I mean, one day I had a little boy that cried and cried. He said he didn't want to be at school and it broke my heart. And I I said, Mom, what's going on? He has a new dog. He doesn't want to come to school. He wants to stay home and play with a dog. Okay, well, that makes sense. So even things like that, it's important to share that with teachers so they know what's going on in the big picture and they can help with that. You know, be be involved in with the kids and volunteer if you can, or if you're a teacher. (laughs) <laughs> Try to get into DODIA. It's a it's a fabulous system. It, I am so grateful for the opportunities that DoDEA gave me. I started out with them, you know, long ago, and got out for a while. I came back in. I had to start subbing first, and once I was there in the school subbing for a while, then they hired me on full time. But I would say, you know, be involved, and if you can, if you are a teacher, that it's a great system. It's uh, you're you would be lucky to work for them. But and one other thing I want to say, this is last thing I'll stop talking. You're fine, Karen. (laughs) I want parents to remember that that you are your child's first and very most important teacher. So, from all teachers, I want to say thank you for trusting us to build on your foundations.
7: Oh, that's wonderful, Karen. It's been amazing having you on our show today, Um, and thank you for sharing more about a hundred days smart and the stories of your colleagues and your family and your friends during the first days of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's incredible how your book reflects the resilience, strength, and flexibility of our military families, especially spouses, too, that endured much of the rig- rigorous lockdown in Europe. Um, and as always, we thank you very much for serving our community, and you really have served our community worldwide. So thank you very much for that and for sharing your story.
8: Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk about Dodia, to talk about my book, um, and I hope that this book gives, some people, gives people some validation and a springboard to start their own conversations and maybe a little bit of healing because I think our whole world is ready for a
7: bit of that. I think you're right. Thank you so much again, Karen. And we wish you all the best. And we wish Karen the best with her book sales and whatever she does next in the next venture that she has. Before we go back to our host, be sure to check out our our show notes where we're going to have all the links to karen and her work and the things that we talked about in the show so now back to our hosts
0: mission Mill spouse formerly known as army wife network is continuing our exceptional and long-standing legacy now serving all spouses of all branches, we are the longest running military spouse podcast currently broadcasting our 18th season. In fact, we will break 1000 episodes in 2023. Don't miss an installment. Subscribe on our website missionmillspouse.org or catch our twice weekly podcast on the podcast app of your choice, including Apple podcast, Google Play or Spotify. Remember, we've been there. You aren't alone. We've got your six.
1: Thank you to Karen Tram for sharing more about her memoir with us this week. Again, if you want to connect with Karen, you can find her online via Facebook and Instagram as Karen Tram author and on her website at karentram.com. Chrissy, what were some of
2: your key takeaways from this interview? Oh my gosh. I wanted to hear more from Karen. She has so many incredible stories and has Mm -hmm. so many experiences that not every military spouse does get to experience, which is so funny to me that she started out the, um, you know, teaching in DOD schools before she was even a military spouse. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel I hear that very often. And so it's kind of cool to hear that, but, um, I definitely, uh, have written her book down as one that I need to get because I'm just very intrigued to hear more about it.
1: Yeah. I loved how she was talking about her work. Like sometimes when you you hear people in interviews or you see them on TV and stuff, they start talking about their work. And it's like you can tell that it brings them joy. yeah, and for Karen, it's obvious that, like the military didn't hurt her her job. I mean, it it made it hard sometimes for her to follow her career path. But like mm-hmm. it didn't it didn't hurt her in that in that course. And it's nice to see a military spouse who has found that success and been able to make things work. But it's also really neat as a parent because obviously she's had children of her own, but she's also taking care of other people's kids. And to just hear this joy that she has for teaching, like you can tell she's in the right job.
2: Yeah, that is for sure. I also like, so when she was talking very briefly about how like as military spouses, we kind of reinvent ourselves at each duty station mm-hmm. or, you know, each time in our in our life. Um, it's just funny because- I felt very like connected to that because she said, you know, like I decided to stay home with my children because that was what I wanted to do at that time. And then she had to fill her time with other such ways, means of getting money or whatever she wanted to do in those locations. And then when the kids went back to school, she was like driven to go back to doing what, you know, she was originally drawn to do. And I just mm-hmm. think that that's very relatable in my life, and I'm sure other military spouses' lives as well.
1: I like how it represents sort of like the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, you know, sometimes we're in this difficult season and maybe we want to work, we can't, or maybe our children have now gotten into school and we want to go back, but we can't find anything. So it's kind of like that hope that, you know, there is other stuff out there. This might not be the right season for it, but it's coming and you can grab it when you see it. Yes, I love
2: that. Love it. And then also like just seeing a different perspective of how the pandemic was over in Europe. I I mean, Mm -hmm. there were a lot of people that were in Europe that were dealing with it. I was not one of them. I did not have that experience. And it was, I've heard quite a few people talk about it, obviously, as I'm living here now. And um, it was vastly different than my own personal experience. And I'm sure many people here are back in the U.S., And so it was just interesting to see how, you know, like a little bit of that perspective from, you know, totally different country. Exactly. And that was like kind of like the main area, right? They
1: were so close to some of the worst cases in Italy at the time. So to get that story out of that from that firsthand experience is is interesting. And, you know, to see how she had to pivot and figure out how to do things a different way for her family, for her classroom, because it Mm -hmm. affected so many areas of our lives and That's another thing that really stuck with me as she was getting ready to to write this. She made the comment of everybody has a story. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I constantly tell people, you know, in in my real life, I, I work as a book editor. So I'm constantly editing people's stories. And so it's really nice to hear another writer say something like that. And to tell, you know, other military spouses and other people who might be listening to this podcast that you have a story inside you too. And there's a place for that story.
2: For sure. I love that. You definitely have a story and you, Sarah Peachy, Ah. and we cannot wait to hear it. (laughs) So someday we'll be, we'll be talking about your interview, maybe with Mission Mill Spouse. (laughs) Mm, You speak it into being, right? Let's Yes, (laughs) just putting it out into the existence. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, military spouses... That about does it for another episode of this podcast. It is a wonderful experience to bring you this content week after week and invite you into our ever-expanding tribe. We love doing this so much that we produce two podcasts every week. In addition to our full-length Monday podcasts, you can check out our mini-casts, which drop each Thursday. Our team members share their personal military spouse experiences and their favorite resources they've used on their journey. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on our website, missionmillspouse.org or on the podcast app of your choice, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, pretty much anywhere you can find us. Don't miss our next full-length episode when we chat all about Defenders Gateway with Carol Wantanabe, who has been a podcast partner for this very episode. Yes, we'd like to give
1: another huge thank you to Defenders Gateway for supporting us on our journey to globally empower military spouses. You can download the Defenders Gateway app today as thousands more resources are coming, including the new Defenders Gateway chat and Kids Corner. So find the Defenders Gateway app at Google Play or the Apple Store. Partners like Defenders Gateway help us support military spouses and their families. And if you or someone you know has a product or service to share with the over 100,000 followers in our network, let's partner up. Both businesses and individuals can donate on our website. You can also email partner at missionmillspouse.org for details on partnership deliverable opportunities. Remember, we are a 501c3, so all donations are tax deductible.
2: And finally, if you want to connect with us here at Mission Mill Spouse beyond the podcast, you can subscribe to our newsletter, The Sit Rep. That is situation report for anyone new to our Mill Spouse neighborhood. We send The Sit Rep twice per month, showcasing our top blog posts, upcoming podcast information, exclusive giveaways, and more. To sign up, simply visit missionmillspouse.org.
1: Listeners, it's truly an honor to be part of your Millspouse squad. We are here for you no matter what military life might be throwing your way. We want to thank you for tuning in to this edition of our podcast. No matter what you're facing, we want you to remember we've been there. You are not alone. We've got your six. This is your Mission Spouse Command team signing out.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Mission Mill Spouse podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with your tribe and leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our podcast on the podcast app of your choice to catch episodes that drop every Monday and Thursdays each week. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, or LinkedIn at Mission Mill Spouse. Snag some sweet freebies by signing up for our newsletter, The Sit Rep. And finally, if you'd like to join us on our mission to serve military spouses, consider making a tax-deductible donation on our website or email partner at missionmillspouse.org. Mission Millspouse, empowering you to navigate this military life since 2005.